2022. <laughs> I know. 2022. First, first, first one. podcast of 2022. And it took us till February. I know. It's crazy. All right. We're here. What's, the, what's 2022 going to look like? We got 2020 that ended up basically a living in a documentary and then 2021 um was 2020 like the sequel of- 2021 was the year everyone was like okay like let's throw let's, it at me. let's do it yeah, like throw it it, at me. like 2020 was a weird year because it, no one knew what was going on and everyone hermited and everyone was like puzzles you know <laughs> and and uh, how many puzzles did you and your oh wife my do? god i don't even want to talk about it too many and she still wants to do puzzles um but but 2021 was like, okay, well, I guess we're living with this now. So yeah. let's just live our lives and hopefully things gradually get better, which, mm-hmm. which arguably I think they are like, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're still going through lockdowns and, and, and things uh, here and there and, and restrictions, but I think we're on our way, but everyone has to remember this is still a global pandemic. Like yeah. as much Anything as people, can happen tomorrow. Yeah. As much as people mm-hmm. want to blame it on, on this group and that group and every other person under the sun, like we're in a global health pandemic and nobody knows how to react to this properly. So we're kind of all flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> you just came, you just came back from Saskatchewan visiting your parents. Yeah. I heard Saskatchewan is taking off all restrictions. All restrictions. Is that happened or is that happening? Uh, if it if it hasn't happened, it's happening yeah. like right away. And didn't the UK just do it? Yeah. Well, a bit a bit ago, I think obviously using cases, covid cases as a metric is is long like that should be long gone. We mm-hmm. shouldn't care about how many cases. Just hospital? Yeah, it should be about how many hospitalizations we have, how many ICU beds we have available because that's the metric that causes our health system to go into distress. So if we remove all restrictions, like if Saskatchewan removes all the restrictions, then the hospital cases go up and the ICU beds fill up, then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Then you have to roll that decision back. It's for the benefit of everybody. I mean, let's take all of the political bullshit out of this and say, look, like, I want to know if I get sick, even not with COVID, with anything else, that if that there's an ICU bed for me. Yeah. I need to know that. Yeah, I think the fact that the UK and Saskatchewan and other places uh, are starting to step back, it's showing we're going in that direction at least. It's going to take some places a little bit more time. Yep. But I think we're going in the right direction. Like You, you just said. had COVID. I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. yeah it, it, would... wasn't that bad. it wasn't bad. Yeah. I mean, but I, I'm, I'm vaccinated, boosted, um, young. And, uh, I try to keep, take care of myself, but for the most part, yeah, it was, it was a cold. If it wasn't COVID times, I wouldn't have known any better. Yeah. Obviously that's not the case for everybody. Um, we're one of the lucky ones, but our family, uh, got through it pretty good. Yeah. 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 And a few other people on our team had it too. It's, a little vacation in the basement. I guess so. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't tested positive with it yet. I, that, that I you know. feel like there's a few times that it should have probably been it but who yeah knows? these tests aren't 100 percent either i took a test on the saturday before i had it uh the sunday morning and both were negative and then that sunday night it was positive and so you got to test yourself like yeah pretty regularly to try to catch it at the right time to because those rapid tests aren't super accurate i don't think no like i know a lot of people that just they record it or record it they um test it and it's negative and then they try again and it's positive other family members of mine tested negative directly right after they test again and it's positive 
So um, if you go just on that first test and say, oh, it's negative, then you go to work eh, with COVID. Right. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of times where if you had symptoms and you're like, okay, let me check. Oh, no, it's negative. You go on with your life. <laughs> Little did you know it was it. You came, overcame it, and you already had COVID. You just don't know. So anyways, at, this point, at like... this point, it's it's falling more in the category of a, a, a mild flu or cold. For now. Uh, for now. The Omicron, at least. I think the Omicron's probably a little bit of our out as long as it continues to stay less severe and the the future variants continue to decrease in severity i think this might be the end of uh that's such a that's such a hard thing to say because that's i i i have optimism but at the same time like i i hesitate to gravitate towards a uh oh this is probably our out sort of scenario because there's i mean i just we just don't know I'm an optimist. You know? Yeah, that's good. Stay positive. That's good. Stay positive. <laughs> Stay no. negative. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If somebody says, oh, it's positive news or negative news, I don't know what's what anymore. <laughs> like, okay. So the negative's good? Um, yeah, no. It's been fine, but uh, obviously it's messing with the markets quite a bit. Um, it's... It's it's growing It's just been really unpredictable. Yeah. I think, Everything's unpredictable. Right? When, when, when it hit... And 2020 kind of uh, really got into the swing of, of, of having this disease present. Uh, nobody knew how to react or what to do. And, and it caused the listings on the market to drop like crazy. It caused everyone to kind of hermit. But it didn't do the thing that everyone thought it was going to do. And that was correct the market. It didn't mm-hmm. do that. It did the opposite of that. And... Um, you know, there's a, I think we've talked about this in previous podcasts. There's a multitude of reasons why that happened. Um, a lot of workplaces went stay at home. Um, so people couldn't travel. They put more of their, um, time and effort into bettering their homes or moving into a new home. Uh, and once it became a little less scary out there and people started realizing they could still be out in the world, I think it caused a crazy boom which nobody saw coming. Um, and that kind of accelerated what we're seeing now in the market, yeah. which is, you know, we're seeing the least amount of of listings on the market and the most demand we've ever seen in the history of <clears throat> at least, I mean, not just our city. It, it, this is across the country and arguably across the world. Yeah. If you watch back to our last podcast, there was a segment that where I predicted kind of in the back in the fall where I thought the real estate market was going to be in 2022. And we predicted what's happening right now. We we knew that there was going to be a surge that hit in January. One, because historically it's been happening for the last yeah. five years. People don't see it. Um, in the fall, there was a slowing. The last four or five falls, there's been a slowing. Um, during that slow uh, period, everybody thinks that's the end of this chaos and that it's going to kind of come to a abrupt halt at that time. But we know everybody looks back in the fall and says, oh, I should have bought, I should have bought, I should have bought. I don't see this ending anytime soon. I don't. I don't either. I'm looking at all the things that are happening and... I think everybody says, well, the rising interest rates are going to cause the market to crash. One... The Bank of Canada is monitoring this these things. Mm-hmm. They're they're not going to raise rates to a point where it's going to cause the market to crash. That's not their intention. They're trying to slow this down, so they're going to take their time with it to try and slow this. But what I think is going to happen is the hype of rates going up is going to cause more chaos than ever right now. 
buyers are trying to buy to try and lock in lower interest rates. So one, the the rising interest rates to slow this is actually doing the reverse effect because all this hype about rising interest rates is causing chaos. We're at an all-time low. There's a lot of people that don't want to sell their homes because they don't want COVID coming through their houses. Right. They're afraid to sell because they're afraid they're going to have nothing to buy. We're at an all-time inventory low. Um, going into the spring, there will be more houses, but we're going to have a surplus of buyers that are going to come from the winter market and the previous fall market because they still haven't gotten anything. So we're going to have still too many buyers even when those houses finally come. Um, I think there's going to be people who lock in those rates for 90 to 120 days that are going to still be fighting to get houses. So I see this chaos in rising rates till at least June or July. Yeah. June or July, I think we're going to see a bit of a simmering like we have in the past. And I think in the fall, once the rates, if the rates do go up, which we expect they will, um, I think we'll see a slowing of some sorts in the fall. Now, that doesn't mean when we see a slowing that the prices are going to drop. It just means the competition might slow down. And when we talk about rising interest rates here, we're not, I mean, a lot of people like to speculate, oh, look, watch what'll happen if the interest rates go back to where they were in the 80s, where, you know, people were paying 14, 15% interest. When we talk about rising interest rates, like they're talking about probably one to maybe 1.5% over the next year or two. I mean, this isn't, people have been getting stress tested when they when they qualify for mortgages at around 5%. Anyways, even though they've been getting interest rates in the low twos. Yeah. So, I mean, this raise of interest rates over the next year isn't going to sink people to the point where you're going to see this flood of houses coming on the market because people can't afford their mortgages anymore. Right. And we have to remember Ontario, or I don't, I don't know if it's Canada-wide, but at least Ontario... Um, they've had the stress test. So everybody, exactly. everybody that's been getting approved for a mortgage over the last so many years has been getting approved as if interest rates were over 5%. That's what already. I mean. That's what I so said. Yeah. The people that are buying houses with interest rates at the lower amount are being approved as if they were the yes. higher. So when, if they do go up, those same people would have been able to afford they're it. They're still in that buffer zone, right? Yep. They're, they're getting approved at the low in the low two or at that 5% stress yep. test. But their interest rates too. Yeah. So there's a three percent. So we already gap here. we already know those people should be able to afford it. Why I I personally don't think they'll ever be able to go up as high as they were, is everything would collapse. Well, they they, they wouldn't yeah, even get halfway. They, they won't, wouldn't even get they halfway. Won't, they won't do it. They can't. No. They wouldn't even get halfway. Everything would collapse, and then they would instantly turn around and lower interest rates down to like one percent to bail everybody out. So we're kind of stuck in this somewhere in the maybe 5% max range that I personally think in the near future. And I also think the reason is in today's day and age, more than before, everybody's over leveraged with more I was cre- just gonna say credit that. cards, line of credits. Those things didn't exist like they do now. Like Canada you can't go to Walmart without getting a Walmart credit card. Canada is historically very, has a very over leveraged population. We are yeah. one of the highest yeah. debt to income ratios in, in the world. Um, and unfortunately that's not something that we can just flip a switch and, and fix. There isn't a, there isn't a a quick path out of that. Right. No. So I think the good news is I don't, I don't see us ever having to deal with that problem again. The the problems we're dealing with is high interest rates on credit cards, lines of credit, because the interest rate on a credit card is higher than it ever was in real estate. And those are, those are other problems we have today than we did before. Um, the bank's. 
will find always find a way to get their money. So when a bank comes in and says, well, your interest rate is 3% or 4%, this is, this is over, if it's a 25-year mortgage, they front load all the interest to the beginning of your mortgage. So if they front load all the interest to the beginning of your mortgage, if you actually look at your statement, it's like 60% of your payment goes towards interest yep. and 40% goes to principal because the average person's going to sell their home in three to seven years. So if someone's selling their house in three to seven years and then the new house, they're going to renew another 25-year mortgage and front load all that interest, the bank is getting actually 60% interest on every payment. Right. It's not... You know, it sounds great when you say 3% or 2%, but if you look at it, your principal is only like 40% for the first few years that you got it. You know, if you stay there for the, the whole 25 years, obviously it will drop, but they're not dumb. They're going to get their money. Um, low interest rates, they still are getting lots of interest out of us. If you look at how much um, you pay over the course of 25 years, there's a lot of interest to be paid. Now, um, this whole interest rate rising and the market changing. Yeah, so how does this affect the general public i mean that's probably what people are most interested in how, how you know where is this going to go how does this affect me <clears throat> i'm nervous as a consumer i'm nervous because when it comes to canada canada is a big country but the majority of people in this country live on within how many miles of the u.s border right in the yeah, south it's like, it's the like southern, two it's like two yeah. hours within the two hour drive ontario southwestern ontario basically from here let's say to ottawa is your most populated area, right? Um, so yes, Canada is a big country, but there's certain areas that are like, you know, the hot spots for business and um, community living. And um, anyways, what I'm trying to get at is in in Ontario, you have a lot of immigration coming in um, that's kind of been halted a little bit throughout the pandemic. So what we're not bring into account is when this pandemic comes to a halt, they're going to start allowing immigration back in more and more and more. When you get immigration coming in, in the around the GTA area, the GTA area, the affordability of living is high. They migrate south to places like Windsor where it's still more affordable. So we know more and more people are going to continue to move here. We know people that can work long distance are moving back for families. People that are in the GTA know they can work in the GTA, but from Windsor. So we have that coming. Now we have people that are coming because they can get businesses and jobs going now in the States and Detroit. We also have, what, whether we believe it or not, we have an average sale price of the low 600s. Mm -hmm. But places like Waterloo we just saw and places like... Um, they're, they're double. Guelph are double. Their average sale price is 1.2. So let's take a Riverside or South Windsor ranch in Windsor. We think that's crazy at $600,000. You would have to pay 1.2 for that house in mm -hmm. Guelph or Waterloo. We're not that far from Waterloo and Guelph. And if that's something that is capable of happening already in those cities, that shows us what the potential is. We're still southwestern Ontario. We're still a very new city when it comes to yeah. growth. And I think this is... There's a paradigm shift happening um, that I think a lot of people are kind of putting the blinders on. And they're saying, this shouldn't be happening. House prices are crazy. People are overpaying for these things. Um, but the reality is when a paradigm shift happens and COVID has really um, been the catalyst for that, we, we start a lot of thing, unpredictable things start happening. And um, no one predicted that this work from home 
um, thing would start to rise so rapidly. Mm -hmm. I think businesses are starting to say, okay, we don't want to pay the overhead in these brick and mortar buildings anymore. I, I, you know, remote software is getting better because of this, Um, you know, video monitoring software, people are able to work from home. Um, Windsor's got a beautiful climate. It's got proximity to a, a big city. It's got a lot of amenities. So people, it's not just a bunch of faceless investors that are buying from Toronto in this city. It's a lot. It, it's actually a lot of people that are relocating yep. to this area. Nobody really saw this happening so fast, yep. but this paradigm shift that's now happening in the work world and the way people are going to be living it's going to continue to change over the next 10 years and beyond. And it's, it's tough because there are a lot of people out there that are watching themselves be priced out of the real estate market. It is really tough to, to see that, but um, the, the waiting for the crash mentality that, that we see out there that's prominent in, in certain circles, it's, it's not something that you're going to see come to fruition unless something really unforeseen But the thing happens. is, we've been hearing people with that mentality before COVID saying, I'm waiting for the crash. Yeah. We're waiting for something to happen. Well, a global pandemic shut down businesses and put people right. in their houses for two years. And that was unforeseen. And we've grown 26% per exactly. percent in the last year. So there's the unforeseen big thing. Like it literally shut down and closed businesses right. and we're still seeing growth. Right. We are living in Southwestern Ontario. Southwestern Ontario is a very popular place showing a lot of growth. Yes. And I don't see any slowing in Southwestern Ontario. That's right. And as we're running out of land around the GTA Greenbelt area, Windsor to London is becoming a very interesting spot to people that are still paying average 1.2, 1.3. They're like, what do you mean I can pay half the price for a house in the most right. southern city on the border of Detroit with a new bridge coming and mega hospitals and all these things that are going on and immigrations coming here. Windsor, I'm so, I hate to say, I know I'm going to, this is my guess. I think this is the beginning. I agree. I think this is the beginning. Look, I was just in Saskatchewan and, you know, I, I talk to my folks all the time about what's going on out there. I have a couple real estate agent friends that live out uh, back in Regina where I'm, where I'm from. The market there has been very balanced and stable for a while now. It even did some dipping. But guys, this is Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Like you're in the middle of, of, of nowhere, really. You don't have close proximity to anything amenity wise you get your minus 45 degree winters it's not a desirable place for someone to relocate so when you see things like that happening in those areas it's it's literally based on amenity it's based on on popularity um and like you said it's the beginning for us here in southwestern ontario because the popularity of these cities and these places and the amenities that we have and the weather that we have and the proximity that we have to other large centers and and amenities is like tenfold what they have in saskatchewan i mean there there's it's the same reason that you can't just go into los angeles california and and buy a house affordably because that's where a bunch of people want to live and when there's a huge amount of demand like that, the cost of everything goes up, right? Yeah. Um, I would be more skeptical if this was just Windsor growing and everything right. else wasn't. If we, what was it, last month we were looking at five years ago, 
where was London's average sale price and where was Toronto's average sale price? And where were we in, to relation, in relation to that? And I think, I don't know if you remember exactly, but let's say we were 70% of Windsor, or London's price. And I think we're a little closer than that. Like I think we were like 80 or 85% of their price or something right. like that. But, right. but we, we looked at what we were rela- relative to them five years ago and, what we, and 10 years ago yeah. and what we are relative to them today. It's very similar. Very similar. So every, this isn't just the Windsor problem. This is everyone growing. This is all of the Southwestern. Yeah. This is Canada, actually. But um, we have grown a little bit more in that in that spread. It's narrowed a little bit. Um, and I think that's just us showing some momentum to the area. And I think it has a lot to do with the out-of-town investors that are coming in. Um, but I, I believe that if this continues the way it's going there is possible that there's going to be a correction to happen. But this correction that, it, but it's temporary. There's always going to be some sort of correction. Now let's go back to 2008 and 2009. This was like the all time drop in real estate pricing. And I, it, what was it? 30, 30 some odd percent from 2008 to when it had dropped to its absolute lowest. It only took till 2010 to get back to where it's at because nobody on this planet wants to see things continue to drop. So as soon as something drops, everybody's focus is on fixing that problem. So when you see the declines in our markets, they're always very short lived and the years of growth are always much longer. The Bank of Canada steps in, the government steps in, everybody steps in to try and fix this problem. So boom, drop. Everybody's like, okay, we got to fix it. We got to fix it. We got to fix it. It corrects itself. Two years later, it's fixed. And then it continues to grow. And everybody's like, oh my God, I can't buy a house. I can't buy a house. I'm going to wait for it to drop. First, you're the type of person, I'm sorry, that's going to wait for a drop. And whoever that is waiting for the drop is probably once it drops, say, oh, I'm not going to buy anything. We're in the middle of a recession. There's never a good time to buy. You just have to get into the market. And yeah. if the market drops, just don't sell. And people say, well, what if I lose my job and I have to sell? Well, then go live with mom and dad. Go live wherever you're going to live and rent your house out. Because rentals are always going to be a thing. If people are selling their homes, they're still going to need a place to live yeah. and they're still going to need to rent. If you invest into stocks, you're investing into a company that's out of your control. If that company goes out of business, yeah, you lose your money. If you invest in real estate, and the market goes down, well, you still have control of that land. You could rent it out, you can pay the bills, you can get it done um, until the market recovers, and then you can sell. The only people who lose are the people who sell when it drops. So yes, you could buy a house today and tomorrow it could drop, but even if it dropped 30% today, if you bought a house and it dropped 30%, that only brings you back to last January's pricing. That's right. The same time people say, I'm gonna wait for it to drop. Well, you're waiting, and you were waiting in January last year. And then if we get to January this year and it drops 30%, you're back to where yeah. you said you were waiting. And anyways. you're not going to see these crazy 70, 80% drops that these, um, you know, these nutballs out there think is going to happen. It, it, this isn't, this isn't a possibility. The bank of Canada and a whole bunch of other forces aren't going to let that happen. But I think instead of us seeing this, um, you know, this massive correction, um, I, I think staying in the same theme as my, my paradigm shift um, analogy here, we're going to start seeing new growth in, in new ideas like tiny homes and different developments. Like Toronto just passed, um, like the garden suite zoning law now where you can actually have like another small structure on your property that you can rent out, or you can have another family living in densification. 
there's there's solutions that are being put into play yeah. here that are going to help the idea of of unaffordability and things like that and the pro- and the, the the problem is people don't have a mental shift yet towards those things like i know it's really appealing for for young first time home buyers to think about owning their own home and their first home and having you know a nice three bedroom two bathroom home in a cute neighborhood but what needs to happen here is people's mental um path needs to shift a little bit and say okay if i can't afford those things now right now what can i afford Mm -hmm. how can i get myself into the market is is condo living something that that i can entertain for the next three to five years you know can, can i can i get myself into the market um, I, I was just talking to some clients the other day and we, we this conversation came up and they said, um, and they're in their uh, 50s, 60s, they said the first home that they bought was a mobile home mm-hmm. in, a, in a mobile home park. Yeah. This, this was 30 some odd years ago. Mm-hmm. That was their solution for getting into the market. They got into the market and then they moved their way into a, you know, a brick ranch home and they raised a family in that home. These are things that I think people are writing off in their brains now because I don't know, it it might be a a combination of media and social media and other people's lives showing them like, look at how good I have it and people have it in their brains. Well, I want that too. So I want to go buy a small house with my, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend um, and I want to live that life. It's like this, this is the, we're living in the, we're living in a. A funny time right now it's the it's the pinterest instagram hgtv world yeah and everybody has they're trying to keep up with the joneses when it comes to social media their lives in a way people perceive them if you go and list a house i i i buy houses and renovate them ever so often i can go buy a house let's say for three hundred thousand dollars and it needs a ton of work cosmetically and i understand People are like, well, I don't necessarily have the money to to renovate. Yeah. Well, banks have renovation loans and mortgages and things that they can offer you. These are just things people aren't aware of and they don't want to be aware of them because they they just want the turnkey ready right. now. Okay. So you move into a home. If you remember watching any movie in the past or any video of a first home, the, the young couple moving to their first home, it's always the scene of them rolling the paint on the walls and, and pushing the couches in and cleaning out the old chimney and their face is covered. So this is literally what a first home should be. A first home should be getting in the market and getting the dirty stuff. If you go back to our parents' age and era, there's going to be houses where they bought for 45, 50, 60,000, which were, we, it's easy to look back now and be like, oh, lucky them. Right. But at that time, that was probably crazy. It, it was. And so there was probably houses right. like, there's no way. I, I was in the business selling houses, even in my career, for 50, 60,000. And I remember people being like, tell them I'll go up to 63 and that's it. And then the other person would be like 65 and deals would die oh, from 63 to 65. And people are like, I'm not going to 65,000. No matter what market you're in, there's always going to be that person that says, well, I'm not going to this. I'm you're not right. going to this. It's all relative to the time. I understand the frustration now is incomes haven't grown at sure. the rate real estate is. The only change here is now we have to get more creative. I am on a site here on windsor.ca and I recommend anybody listening to this, go to the, go to Google, type in accessory units, Windsor, additional dwelling units, 
there's a diagram here that will show you it looks like some green and red houses I'll try and share my screen um, while I'm talking about this so the city of Windsor is allowing as long as you're a primary resident of the home and you're not you're not renting this out you can treat it like a duplex so whether you live upstairs and you want to rent out the basement or you live upstairs or you live um, on the main in the basement want to rent out the upstairs or you have an addition off the back of the home and you want to rent it out or even a garage that you have turned into some sort of like Airbnb suite the city of Windsor does allow you even though you're not a legal duplex to turn things into accessory units and this is what you already saw years ago in Vancouver on these HGTV shows yep. people going into their basements and making suites this is a temporary thing. It's not like you're going to live your whole life with someone living in your basement. No. This is you as a young couple. Let's say you have to go and find a starter home and the starter home is 500000 I know it sucks. There's nothing I single-handedly can do to change that market. But my job is to help find solutions to get people into the market. Right. So if you find a $500,000 home, um, I'll pull up the numbers here in a second, but a $500,000 home X the mortgage minus what you're renting out your basement or your back for should be a fairly relative affordable price that you can pay. What people don't factor in is while you're paying down your mortgage, the average home is growing four or 5% a year right. and in a stable market. If you factor in what, how much money you can make in three to four years and how much equity you can build to put down on that next home, at least you're in the market and growing. And like you said, with condos, or anything that's a renovation, or you buy a nice home, but it has a rental off the back, you just need to get creative. Everyone has this mindset that they have to go buy the turnkey home for six, $700,000, live paycheck to paycheck, and just to get in the market. That's not how it has to be. It's how you think it has to be because you're comparing yourself to the people on social media and your friends out there or anybody in the past that got lucky enough that they got in in this weird little gray area when the market was low. Right after 2008 and 9, there were some people from 2012 to 2016 that we would say are the lucky ones right now that got in right after a crash. Yeah, hindsight's 2020. 20. Yeah. You can't look back like that. I was watching something on on the news the other day and it, it was talking about um, home prices in Kingston, which they've been experiencing the same type of growth. They're about three hours the other way from Toronto. Uh, east of Toronto, and they've been experiencing higher growth than even we have. I think they're the highest, the one of the highest um, growing priced cities in Canada. And there was a lot of comments on that from people in the Toronto area um, saying, and I think their average sale price is somewhere in the 700s. So a little higher than us here in Windsor, where I think we're about 636 36 now. Um, As of and, and, these, and these people in Toronto going, Oh man, like, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could go to, a, you know, somewhere and get a house for seven, like, imagine we could get a house for $700,000 in, in Toronto yeah. and, and it's frame of reference, yeah. right? Yes. And, and so, well, there's going to be, there's going to be the next generation or even our own selves looking back at this, say, maybe 10 years from now or less saying, Oh, they were lucky in 2022 when they could have bought a house for 636. Right now, it's easy to be furious with the market. It's easy to be furious with the way the economy is and interest rates coming up. But you got to remember, interest rates are really low right now. When they come up, they're still considered relatively low. Right. 636 sounds crazy, but when you compare ourselves with Guelph and Waterloo at 1.2 million, give us a few more years when let's say our average ends up being eight, 900 a million. They're gonna be like, Oh, my friend's so lucky. He bought three years ago in 2022 for 636. 
it's easy then to look back and look at what was good. But right now, because we're the highest, everybody's going to give it a hard time. That's right. I don't like what's happening as much as everybody else in the fact that first-time home buyers are struggling. I love it when I see somebody who's already owned a home growing in this market, yep. and I get to be that person that comes in and says, "Congratulations, you just made two hundred fifty thousand right. dollars over the last three years." That feels really good. The first-time home buyers, I understand, are struggling, and what I'm trying to get at, and I think what we're both trying to get at, is there's nothing we can do about this, and we're trying to frame the whole, the big picture here. Look at as crazy as it sounds. Look at what's going on everywhere around us. And believe it or not, Canada isn't even the most affordable country in the world. There's go look at the average sale prices of other countries. It's crazy. It's crazy. I now, think, really quickly, I think what we're trying to get at is we need to find a way people can get creative. Because exactly. if you don't get in the market, yes, there will be a time. There will be a time where there's a separation landlord and tenants. And certain incomes will forever be tenants and certain incomes. And right now, I do believe the way Southwestern Ontario is going, it's a good opportunity to build long generational wealth if you can get into the market. Uh, yeah, I was going to say the exact uh, same thing. If I could boil down this <laughs> this little bit of a long-winded talk that we just uh, went through. Sorry if, if, if that seemed a little long, but I think if I could boil it down to one thought, it's it's get get your mind working a little creatively and let us help you get a little creative with with how to get you into the market because waiting this out isn't the solution wait mm -hmm. like waiting to see what happens isn't the solution because if 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 a correction you know does happen somewhere down the line it might not be for years and that correction is not ever going to take us back to where we are now or yeah. or before right so we need to get creative now let's get working to get you in the market now so that you can grow with it as well and it's so it sounds like such a classic like real estate line like let's <sighs> get us in the market and it's hard i know we're real estate agents i know it's in our best interest to sell you a home but it's in your best interest truly to buy a home and this is the same conversation i had with people when this started in 2015 16 17 people like no way i'm jumping into this right now mm -hmm. and we tried to explain it look this is how historically things work. This is why I think you should be in the market. This is why I think you should get creative. And if you ask any of our past clients that work with us, anybody who's listening will vouch. Those people that we got creative with, those people that got in, are very happy right now with their investments. Right. And at that time, everyone thought that was crazy. And last year, everybody thought that was crazy. But everybody who bought with us and got creative and found ways to get in, all are making a lot of money right now. And... And not just making a lot of money, it's setting you up for the for the next steps of your life. And I mean, invest in invest in real estate, invest in your life, and invest in your children's lives in in that same breath, right? Because you know, money money gets passed down generationally and everything too, right? So, you know, if we a lot of people say, Well, I'm worried about my kids, I'm worried like if it continues like this, what are my kids gonna do? It's like, yes, that's right. So make the right decision now for yourselves so that you can help your kids do the same thing when when they're older right. and right like it's it's really important to to find a way to sort of creatively put yourself in the right position and and that's the tough thing right now is is people don't know how to do that and maybe don't know the right steps to take but so i'm going to we can i'm going to give a scenario here if you had a couple and you're making say 
fifty to sixty thousand a year each. Okay, so a young couple starting out in their careers making fifty to sixty thousand each. Total income somewhere around a hundred to hundred and twenty thousand. Um, you should be able to afford somewhere around the range of a six hundred and thirty-six, which is the average right now, is what I put in thousand dollar home, at five percent down, which would be the minimum. Uh, most banks would allow uh, you would be looking about $31,000 down now you would save on some land transfer tax some land transfer tax um, because if, if it's your first time home yep um, I put taxes in at about 3,000 could be a little bit more than that but I just threw 3,000 in as an example so uh, total payment with taxes you'd be looking at about 3238 per month it's a lot 3238 is a lot in comparison to what things could have been and used to be. Now, if you went back to the accessory units that I showed you and you found something where you could rent out an addition or a basement or a little, make it almost like a little duplex for three years, let's just say three years as an example, um, you're looking at, let's maybe at renting out that space for 800 to 1,000 bucks. Well, that brings your total payments down to about 2,200. Um, a young couple making 100 to 120,000 a year between the two of them shouldn't have too many issues paying 2200 right. a month for a $600,000 home. Now, $600,000 home is a pretty nice house still. Yeah. You can get a nice house for $600,000. Um, it's not your forever home by any means, but um, it could be. But for the average person, I would say that's that's a good... And then you can still get $400,000 homes, five hundred. So six hundred, dollars you're, you're looking fairly comfortable in a home like that, and you're paying about 2200 a month. Now, if you put 5% down because of CMHC fees, you have a total mortgage remaining of $604,000, okay? Taking a uh, calculator here, if I take a $636,000 home and I apply a average of 5% growth. Now, this year we're expecting more than that. Next year could be a little more than that. But let's right. just go with an average of 5%. And you only live in that home for four years. In four years, uh, compounded, uh, that would bring you at about 773000 So if you take away the 636 that you purchased that home for, you would have built equity of about 137000 in four years. So this isn't even including you paying down your mortgage. This is right. So I'm not even at that. So you've actually probably accumulated quite a bit more equity, but let's just go based on the appreciation alone. And this is using like a 50 year average of appreciation on a home, not what we've been seeing here in the last right. five to eight years. So if you go to Windsor's average from like 1960 till now, um, it's it's usually somewhere in the three to five percent yeah. average range. So I'm using a 5% growth, which is very low compared to what Windsor's been seeing over the last five years, but I want to use a more conservative number. So yep. assuming a more conservative number, we're looking at 137,000 in growth in just four years. Now, if I divide that by four years, that's 34,000 per year you're accumulating in your average home sale price. And if you divide that by 12 months, you're averaging twenty eight fifty five a month. Well, if you buy, if your payments are thirty two, and you're renting out some of it, and it's down to twenty two, and you're making twenty eight, you're actually net positive. You're basically living for free if you look at it that way, right. just on the accumulation. So, it's all about. It's better than being a rental. So if you're in a rental, the same type of house, you would have to pay about twenty five hundred dollars a month for a six hundred thousand dollar house right now. You'd probably have to pay about twenty five hundred dollars a yep. month for in rent. Yep. You times that by 12 years, or 12 years, 12 months times four years, 
you would have paid $120,000 in rent out the window. And that's gone. Out the window in four years. So whether you want to sit back and complain about the market growing or get into the market, I understand it's expensive, but if you rent for $2,500 a month for in four years, that's 120. If you rent for $2,500 a month in four years, that's $120,000 out the window. If you own a home and rent a little bit out and the market grows just at 5% a year, in four years, that's going to be 100 and what I say, 130 something thousand dollars. Right. So what would you rather have? The 130 or the negative 120? It's about the mindset. I understand it sucks, but you need to use the you need to use a creative mind in this market. Yeah, and it's getting yourself and in we the, can help you. It's getting that. yourself in the right position to be able to do that too, right? I think a lot of people, um, it's tough for them to to make the the big changes in their lives to be able to think about, okay, what's it going to take for me to save a thirty thousand dollar down payment? You know, again, get creative. Can mom and dad help? Can grandma or grandpa help? Can yeah. you know? Do you have solutions to help get you into that? Yeah. Um, that position to be able to buy and it, and whatever you can do, do it because even if even if your mom and dad lend you part of the down payment and split on the investment, right. even if you split on the investment with your mom and dad, say hey, co-sign with me, lend me the down payment. When I sell in a few years, we'll split the profits fifty fifty. So if you make one hundred and twenty thousand in four years. Give your mom and dad 60 grand. Thank you so much for putting it down. Now they've helped you out. You have 60 grand in your pocket. Plus they what you made money down. on their investment. So they've made money on their investment. You've pocketed 60,000 plus the money you put down plus the down, uh, the down payment they lent you. So you got all this money back in your pocket. Um, there are ways you can get help. Now, I understand if you can't save that kind of money and you don't have somebody who can lend you, yep. it is trickier. There's going to be those situations. Sure. But we can't help all situations, but there are things you can do. And some people are just not aware of the options in front of them. Yep. And all it takes is one phone call, one meeting, weigh all the options, see if it's doable. We're not afraid to let people know if they're going to have to wait another year or two to do what they need mm -hmm. to do, fix their credit, whatever it may be. But the, some people are surprised by the options. I mean, look, you had friends and past clients of mine that shouldn't have been able to buy the year they did on Bernard. Yeah, you know which one I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, um, and we found a solution where they were essentially able to go zero down. Yeah, CIBC helped them with that. I think. Yeah, so they were given a loan. They used the loan to pay down, uh, use as their down payment. They got cash back on closing. That cash back allowed them to pay off the loan. They had a little bit higher interest rate, but allowed them allowed them to get into the market. They had to stay with that particular bank for at least five years. Um, when they went to sell, they just upgraded their home with that bank. So they were still with that bank. They made a ton of money in the growth of the and market. And they live in a house that they that they love now yep. in an area that yep. they love. And Had they not have got creative and done that at that time, that's right. they'd still be renting. They wouldn't have made all that money and they wouldn't be where they're at. They've now avoided this chaos in the market and they're in a really nice home. And these this is all the result of just getting creative. So switching gears a little bit, do you... We all know that housing is a great investment. Obviously, we've seen that growth happen, and now um, we're we're getting into a a world where you know Facebook has turned into Meta, and they've now uh, you know coined the term the metaverse, and 
Um, you know, there's, there's this, there's this whole virtual world now going on behind the scenes. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because we're starting to see investments being made in this world. Um, you know, NFTs, which are, which are non-fungible tokens. There's, there's digital artworks that are being created that are selling for millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's even plots of virtual land in these virtual worlds that are now, selling for insane amounts of money and growing at a very rapid rate and are proving to be at least in the short term uh viable investments for people and i i i just i guess anytime something like this happens and you and i are both kind of tech people we 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 keep on top of what's happening in the world and we i love to see new things come out and everything i still don't even have a, even close to enough of an understanding of what's going on in these worlds yet to see what the potential is for the future. But do you see this being like the new wave of investing now? Like, we're, like it's almost like we're beyond crypto now. We're, we've gone into, well, yeah, not, you know, digital ape faces selling for $1.3 million. Not quite yet. So I think um, this is the, the new generation of Web 3.0. And um, if you look at, what Web 3.0 is, it's bringing in the cryptocurrency era, the yep. NFT era, um, the metaverse virtual reality um, era. So Web 3.0 is just getting going. But what you need to look at is these these things have been around for at least a decade. So um, crypto has been around for a little while. Yep. Virtual has been around for a little while. So there is a definitely a lag curve and a, a delay for things to start picking up. I steam. think technology needed to needed to grow yeah. to a degree where it made sense to yeah. make it mainstream. So if you look at when the internet started, there was a lot of skepticism and a lot of people in the 90s that weren't um, sold on the idea of the internet. Right. They thought it sounded like a fantasy pipe dream. There were people that were investing into it and were big winners. And then there were also a lot of losers because yeah. it was so new, people didn't know which way it was going. With the NFT space, um, there is definitely a technology here that's going to be around for the rest of our lifetimes. It's not going anywhere. No. Now, I think the early era of it, the hype of it right now, is focused on the digital art. I don't think it's going to five years from now, 10 years from now, necessarily be all digital art. Right. I think where it's going to get very interesting is through digital contracts. Um, digital contracts um, that basically allow a giant web of public servers to basically dictate a transaction. So for now, if I go to a store and I buy a donut, I take my debit card and I tap it, and that sends a signal to my bank. My bank says, yes, you have money. It sends a single back. It's actually a going to become an archaic, slower form. Um, the late, it, it, there's, there's a delay there from that two, three seconds from it to say to your bank, do you have money? The bank, bank says, yes, they have money and they can, they can take this out. When it comes to crypto, everything's instantaneous because the more people that use it and the more people that own crypto all communicate with each other. So mm -hmm. it's not just one bank. It's basically a giant pool of public servers saying, yes, he has this money and it, it's good to go. Um, but it, it takes away the middleman of the bank. Now, when it comes to our business and real estate, I think it's going to take away a little bit of the middleman when it comes to the transaction. People are going to be able to trade in real estate through digital contracts that are going to be non-forgeable 
So instead of right. sitting there with 15 to 25 pages signing, 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 and to put it into a file with a lawyer and all these things to show, yes, I own this land, there's going to be this digital contract that undoubtedly shows that you've transferred the land from one title to another. Interesting. Now, how it plays out, I don't know. I don't know how the legalities are going to be. I don't know if somebody's going to step in and put some sort of system in place that allow, doesn't allow you well, to do isn't this. Well, that, isn't that the whole battle right now? I mean, between governments and, and cryptocurrency, I mean, there are countries banning cryptocurrency because of the, the decentralization of it, because there isn't a you know right a, a government controlled it's banking allowing system. it's allowing like a free trade yeah. um and these digital contracts allow people to free trade without being frauded there, in yeah the... it, there, there's there's definitely that side of the of the removing removing the potential for fraud but but what it also does and what people i think worry about is the same it's the same kind of model as something like like uh, airbnb or uber or any of those things that took the regulation out of the hands of the regulatory bodies that we've all become accustomed to, mm -hmm. like the cities, the municipalities and everything that controlled the hotels and the hotel taxes and all that stuff. And it put it into the hands of the people and it said, hey, if you own this private property, guess what? Now you can, we have a website for you where you can put it up online for rent and you can just rent it directly to a person and you yep. can forego, right? So it's taking regulation away, which is good but it also you have to be careful i with think that. i think there will be um adaption to like there'll be a middle there i think there will always be a middle i middle. think there has to be yeah. in, in, so, the, in the society that we live in so the governments will adapt the banks will adapt yep um they will start to accept crypto as just another currency if that ends up being or they or, shut it down completely or it will shift into something different It'll become a hybrid of, of what it is now and, and you know, what it might, you know, yeah. have the potential to be. Yeah, I think it's too early to tell which way it will go. Yeah. It's just, it's going to be what will governments allow? What will they start? Like, government can just come in and say, that's great. You have your cryptocurrency, but we accept taxes in dollars. Right. Yeah. Right. And, um we were it's a little early to tell and I, I think there's going to be companies that come out of this like an uber or a skip the dishes or a facebook or whatever that's going to come up with ve some very smart system yeah. that's going to basically become another middleman there will always be a middleman but i do think the good that could come from this is these digital contracts basically taking things from paper more digital than it already is so right now we're going from paper to online signatures but all an online signature is online signing paper right? right you're scanning paper you're digitally signing that paper that paper still being printed and being filed away somewhere yes so i think this web 3.0 is eventually going to erase all paper contracts and it's going to be digital contracts that are going to be signed through this blockchain technology that's going to be um unfraud i can't i can't wait to do a podcast 20 years from now yeah and we'll and, look like idiots. and talk yeah <laughs> yeah we'll all be well first of all we'll be doing right. this podcast virtually in the metaverse right and second of all we'll be in our digital office yeah <laughs> and right. we'll just be hooked up to wires like in the matrix in our chairs yeah. at home well and i also think <laughs> you do you remember when streaming videos came out and it was like e-bombs world yep. and all these things but then youtube comes out and kind of just owns the market right now i look at you know oculus virtual reality 
and all in like the little metaverse and the the land they're selling in the metaverse right now is like your e-bombs world days there's still the companies to come that are going to erase everything we're doing right now like think of facebook and myspace everybody's like oh myspace 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 all of a sudden it's just erased off the map and there's a company that comes in and, and just makes everything better something new so right now i think we're still in that new phase where there's companies that come in and they seem like they're going to be big companies they seem like there's something and then there's going to be someone who comes in with a product that's way better it's going to knock whatever we're using right now right off the map and we're going to be in a whole other uh genre of this this a version a different version of what we're currently living with so right now when you look at I know this is an analogy that's used all the time, but um, right now we're in the Pong Tetris era of Web 3.0, and we still have Nintendo 64, GameCube, Xbox, and PS5 to come. <laughs> and we're we're so young in this. Um, you go back to the internet and watch videos of like Jeff Bezos in his little office selling books um, online, and then you look at what it has evolved into now. Um, I think we're in those early stages and then 10, 20 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, wow, we thought that was crazy and innovative. So we're still really young. And I think there's gonna be a lot of losers because, because it's so young and the amount of money people are just dropping $500,000 million on virtual land. These are the companies that might just be like, no, you're not really anything. Maybe, or maybe they're, you know, the people who spent a million dollars on Bitcoin when it wasn't anything. And now they have 600 you know, million dollars in the bank or six billion dollars. This is why I said there's going to be a lot of big winners. Yeah. And there's also going to be losers. And people are investing on speculation right now when it comes to crypto and NFTs. And some of them are going to look like geniuses in the end. And some of them are going to lose a lot of money. Um, And it's all speculation. So it's interesting. I think there... It's not all going away. It's not like 10 years from now, we're going to be like, yeah, crypto was a fad, NFT was a fad, and it's gone. The technology there between like um, Ethereum and their blockchain technology and digital contracts and the things that it's going to allow, virtual reality and the metaverse is a thing. I own an Oculus. Once you try it, you're like, you undoubtedly, it's the future. You're not going to be sitting there looking at your 2D flat screen in the future. Right. If you go, if you haven't tried a virtual reality, I understand it still needs improvement. But if you haven't tried it, put it on, look around and experience some sort of virtual game or virtual movie or some sort of documentary and you see what the potential is. And then take it off and go sit in front of a 2D screen TV. These aren't going to be what we're using. No. In, in 10 years, I'm telling you five years, five years, a 2D screen is still going to be used. It's still going to be something you can watch, but the the real technology is going to, everybody's going to have these headsets you go on. Meetings like this are going to happen with these headsets on. Even our own real estate is going to be using, people are going to be able to virtually tour that's homes. That's right. That, and that's, that's, that's a really cool idea because we're doing these virtual tools, uh, tours of homes a lot now because of COVID and, and you know, allowing people to take a walk, a virtual walk through the home. Imagine throwing on a virtual headset and taking a walk through those listings yeah. and making so, it feel like you're there in real life. So we already have the technology in our office. Yeah. So when we go into a home, we 3D scan it and make a 3D rendering of the home. Uh, we do have a VR version. So if you have an Oculus headset or a PSVR and you go to our website and you open up our 3D tour, you can go into VR mode. And when you're in the living room with your VR headset, you literally are standing in the living room. I've tested it. I've tried it. Um, we, we already have it. How cool is uh, we that? We just 
no one's using it yet. Not yet. No. Not yet, because not enough people have those headsets in yeah. their homes and, and people yeah. haven't invested in those things yet, but they so, will. So going back to like web 2.0 to 3.0, let's go web 2.0, which I would still say Zoom is part of web 2.0, even though it's a newer technology yeah. we're using now. It existed in web 2.0, which is just your um, FaceTimes and your Skypes. Um, we went from flying in airplanes across the country to meet with people in boardrooms to now because of the pandemic it's been put on the forefront to be able to do virtual mm -hmm. um, through skype zoom or whatever it might be meetings undoubtedly once you see it you can it's hard not to see it coming we're going to be putting heads it already exists there's already vr meetings where you put on the headset you're sitting at a boardroom table you're across from me, but you're on the other side of the country. Your person's in front of you. Your laptop's in front of you. You're at a desk. You can share your screen on a big yeah. whiteboard. You can go into conference halls. You can be standing on a stage with a giant in in like a in like a university setting, um, an auditorium. In an auditorium, you have the the big screen behind you. You share yep. your screen. You're sitting in a seat in the auditorium in your virtual headset. The person can annotate and draw on the screen. They can discuss. They can share their screen. They can have open discussions. They can use their normal mannerisms. It's like they're there in person. They take the headset off and they're in their pajamas. Yeah, and I know it seems crazy to people to think that now, but that technology is here, and it's just, it's just a matter of that getting in enough people's hands mm -hmm. for it to become mainstream. And it's, mm -hmm. it, and once that happens and the money is flowing, that's when that technology really starts to improve yeah. and take off and right and get better and i mean look i even even my wife i mean she you know she works for a company that um their their head office is in in uh mississauga and you know if if she wants to move up you know that was the old the mentality of okay well you know you're gonna have to relocate and move here if that's where you know the route that you want to take in the company and that's i think starting to go away all right um yeah so we just got cut out there for a second but um i'm trying to remember where we were what we were just talking about uh augmented reality i was i was just saying um i remember and it was i think it was 2000 around 2010 when i was in university that we had a uh, we had a guest speaker come in and and present to us and show us all augmented reality things. And for those of you who don't know what augmented reality is, um, you're going to see it in things like um, your, your uh, navigation apps and stuff now where, you know, if you're driving, if you're driving past a certain store, you're going to get an ad for that store. Um, and if, or if you're doing like a Google street view and you're going down the street, like you, you might get like a pop out ad from like a store that you drive by on yeah. Google Street View yeah. that that is tailored to your search mm -hmm. preferences and things like this augmented reality. Now, let's look at it in terms of not just virtual reality headset that you wear um, when you're at home playing a game or, you know, as we go into the metaverse and the applications for that. But Apple and Google are both um, in current development of their glasses yeah. that they want to do. And those glasses are going to be basically heads up displays yep. in your life. And that is going to be tailored 
to the experience that you want to have when you're walking down the street. It's like the 1920s when everyone's wearing their hat. You're going every everyone's going to look at the 1930s and we're all going to be walking around with our glasses. Right. But yeah, it's um definitely going to be something where if you're out on a walk, you could have a podcast on and in the top left corner of your eyes could actually be the video of the podcast you're watching. And if you walk by say a house for sale, Everything, there's going to be something similar, I'm sure, to like a QR code. Yeah. And as soon as you look at it, it sees that QR code and something will pop up where you can um, say, use your hands. Your your hands will be, there'll be like a digital map in front of you. So when the glasses are on, you'll be able to tap something in the air. So people will just see you tapping in the air, but you're actually tapping a button in your augmented reality. <laughs> and, I mean, to us, it seems crazy because it's just yeah. going to look like you're a crazy person. But yeah. in, in this reality, when this happens, it's, it's not going to be, be norm, normal. normal. So no one's going to be walking around with their phones like this anymore. They're going to be hands-free. Right. All the buttons are going to be in the air digitally and yeah. no one's going to see what you're pushing. But let's say you walk by a sign and you stare for five seconds, it's going to load the info and then you're going to push a button that's going to bring up all the listing information on that listing like you said you'll go buy a, a restaurant and every every sign's going to have this code thing yeah. whatever it might be that it recognizes like already google if you have the google app and you scan anything in your room it will recognize that and it will show you all the recent that's right. searches that's so right. they already have that technology um i have a feeling to avoid error instead of just staring at the name of a sign and it's trying to guess what it is there's probably gonna be like a qr code type thing that's going to allow it to get a more precise answer but there's going to be things where if you walk by somebody if you want to share your your stuff publicly you can add a friend by walking by somebody and be like send friend request and somebody who wear it was those glasses will see boop, somebody who's walking by you just uh, send your friend request <laughs> it'll be like the digital way of picking up um, yeah girls or guys it'll be like no one's going to interact anymore i'd be like do you want to be my friend you look over and some guy with glasses is going to be in the again corner. all like, you know a lot yeah. of this is speculation uh, because things do change as technology comes out but it is interesting um just to think about how it will affect our our industry and and how it will streamline processes and and make it easier for people to be checking out homes and and be getting through the the paperwork process and well augmented um, staging yeah so that's they, right they do this already so augmented staging is already a thing but what i've heard um through some podcasts i've listened to is right now they'll take a, a, a vacant space on a home and a company will put the couches and chairs and everything in the space where it belongs okay yep. what they'll eventually be able to do is go to the home and put some sort of headset on and place the furniture where it goes. So when you go in with your augmented glasses, when you walk in the room, the virtual staging will still be there. Right. So you can turn it off and turn it on. So you see the vacant space, but when you put the glasses on, you can see the couches and chairs, how a professional company has staged yeah. that home. There's going to be so many applications. It's a little, that's almost like web 4.0. It's, it's, yeah. very, it's very that's, early now yeah, because, yeah. because there's an adoption rate that you have to, consider with things like this and when when these big shifts happen in technology and, and in the world it's it's a very slow process for people to be able to adopt these things first of all um i mean then there's that curve right there's like there's like early adopters and then mm -hmm. there's um skeptics you know, yeah exactly and, and it kind of goes on a, on a on a big curve yeah. um the early adopters i think were just in that primary or that preliminary stage of you know like someone like you who has a virtual reality headset and has had it for 
a bit of time already, I would consider you an early adopter of that because it might not be for five to 10 years that people, you start to see those as a commonplace thing in people's homes. Mm -hmm. And businesses know that, right? And industries are aware of that um, on on a bigger scale as well. So you're not going to see this massive push of brand new technology all of a sudden happening. It's like because, electronic vehicles. Exactly. Yeah. Or or let's let's put it in simpler terms for people who everyone has a cell phone. Everyone has um, you know, a computer or an iPad of some sort. This adoption that we've been moving towards the USB C ports and cords, that's been taking place over a long mm-hmm. period of time and we're still not there. Yeah. People still aren't comfortable using USB-C yet. And that's a sip. That's one thing. That's one port. Well, even same with like Facebook users switching to Instagram. Right. It took so long to get people that were Facebook lovers to Instagram. And now they're on Instagram and now it's hard to get them over to TikTok. Like things keep moving. Yeah. Um, and the problem I think we have is a very large percentage of our population is that baby boomer generation. One that just won't give a shit and won't ever want to adopt. Right. Which will slow down getting people to jump. And the only reason we've gotten where we are in the last few years is because of the pandemic a lot of the boomer generation almost was forced to adapt a lot of this stuff like zoom and stuff like that because they wanted to stay in connection but i think that population isn't going to care as much they're not going to want to adapt and uh the ones that do adapt um are going to uh they're going to have a little bit of a struggle because we're getting to a point where the technological leap of learning these things is getting harder and harder and harder. Like, you know, how hard is it already to teach somebody who didn't grow up with a cell phone how to use every app on a cell phone? Now, oh, yeah. now when you start putting headsets on and everything, like it's going to get to a point where it's going to be a newer generation thing. There's going to be some older generations that adapt to it, but it is going to be hard to get a full global scale adaption. It, it, it makes me, th- I was just talking to my dad when I was visiting him at home and he was telling me the struggles he had with my, my grandfather before he passed away. Like just, just getting him to like read a simple email. Yeah. Like he'd be like, he'd be like, dad, <laughs> like I, like just, just click here. And he'd be like, I did click there. And he'd be like <laughs> you didn't click there. Cause you, you can't see it. And then he'd he'd get in there and he'd click and and he'd be like, "How'd you do that?" Yeah, he'd be like, "Well, I just I just clicked yeah. here, you know, like that's not ever going to change in that generation of people." Listen, when we're old, yeah, we're going to be set in our ways in certain ways too. I don't yeah. think I don't think we're going to have the same lag of of um, information that 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 well, the baby they went boomers from did. No, they went from no exactly. To, they went from yeah. from like yeah. not even like my grandfather was born in a time when they're almost when there wasn't plane travel. Yeah. You know, so it's a little bit different for us we now, think, but we think Well, that's the thing yeah, cuz we, we there's there's things out there that we are not even going to be able to fathom so that are coming out. I'm going to give my prediction really quickly. In 10 to 20 years, not a very long time cuz I'm already thinking of how much things have changed since te- the last 10 years with cell phones and social media. And the way it's continuing to progress and the smart people that are out there working on these things. But my guess is in when it comes to real estate, there will be some sort of augmented Google Glass something yep. that will allow me when I walk down the street, just like right now already, if you walk down the street with your 2D cell phone, that you scan a QR code and you get information. It already exists. Yep. That's already a thing that's starting to really kind of take place. 
you're going to have some glasses on where you're going to walk back by just like a cell phone. You're going to scan some sort of QR code and yeah. you're going to be able to get that information on your glasses. I expect that to happen it in, will. in the short future. Augmented staging is already happening. I expect more augmented things to happen where if you go in, there'll be some sort of sticker that agents can put on the furnace, the AC, somewhere around. So when you're in the furnace, you look at that little QR code. It's going to give you the age, blah, blah, blah. I think these types of things yeah. are happening. Yeah. Um I'm going to be I'm going to be off a little bit there, but there's going to be something along the lines where you're going to be able to look at things and get an age and it's going to make things a lot easier. OK, uh, I'm going to guess that viewing from outside the city in um, which already exists, but it's going to be more adapted. People are going to put headsets on and be able to look at a space virtually as more people own these headsets and find more comfort in using them. There's going to be a, a realtor.ca VR app. It's going to, there's going to be just like an, a realtor.ca app on your phone. In Oculus, there's going to be a Realtor.ca VR app, yep. something along those lines yep. where every listing in there is going to be the VR version. So you can look at homes through your VR headset. I think that's coming. Um, and uh, I think in the little bit longer future, um, there's going to be NFT digital contracts in real estate. I think the paper contracts are going to go out and it's going to be blockchain contracts somewhere in the future. Now, that might be a little further out. Um, but I don't think the future of NFT is only going to be in the art space. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be more importantly in the contracts. I I look forward to seeing sort of where, yeah. how close your predictions lie. I mean, obviously this is going to be a, a, a decades thing, not a, mm. not a simple single years thing. I, I don't think, but yeah, I mean, the world is changing and um, I think in my mind anyways, I embrace the change mm -hmm. and I love to see where things go and I love to see new technology abound. And um, there's a lot of people out there that don't like change and mm -hmm. a lot of people that are very resistant to it. And um, at the end of the day, I think those people tend to kind of lag behind the curve uh, to their detriment, mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know. One more thing I want to add, just um, brainstorming as we're talking. I wonder instead of a just a let's say a toronto investor putting on a headset and looking at a virtual walkthrough if you are going to be able to join them in that room so you can actually have discussion well in the room right. together i i, I see all I these mean, things coming it already that, that technology that, already exists. it, it does yeah. it does yeah. like i said it's just a matter of adoption yeah. it, if those things don't have the ability to be widely adopted they yeah. disappear Architects and, and engineers already it. do it. Of course they do. They scan yeah. they scan projects that they're working on and they all meet in a virtual space with headsets that's, on. That's and so they cool. talk about, you know, what structural load are we gonna need over here? And they're all yeah. in their little virtual or avatars, whatever. It's it's crazy and it's exciting, it's scary. Um, I understand there's gonna be skeptics uh, that don't like the change. There's gonna be people that don't like the increase in prices. Um, we have to manage with what the cards were dealt at the time. Um, one person isn't changing all these things. My job and your job is to help navigate people through the markets that we're currently in. People like to point the fingers at um, certain industries or certain people. But in the end, um, we were here as an individual agent trying to help our people through the changes that are happening. And I think the changes of social media and online advertising over the last 10 years is shifting into something that's going to be a little even harder to keep up with over the next 10 years. So, you know, real estate agents had their importance with being navigating people just through MLS because everything was not digital and the information was harder to get. So agents had their, um, 
they had their resources that were uh, beneficial to the buyers and sellers to go to an agent. Now going to an agent, it's about online presence and advertising and exposure. Um, and I think moving forward, it's going to be more um, being able to guide them through these technologies, making sure that they're protected and safe and people are keeping up with the trends. And that's what we're here hoping to do. You're a realtor, virtual realtors for life. <laughs> <That's gonna happen. laughs> um, it's exciting. I don't know. It I mean, look exciting. at what we're already doing. We're doing, we're sitting here doing a podcast and video. Like these are things that we weren't doing before. Well, look at the, I mean, podcasts themselves have been around for years and years and years and years and years. And it's just now that they're really starting to gain that, that ultra popularity where, where they've got millions and millions of listeners, where they've got this global reach. Um, and, and we're platforms. just, you know, right. And we're just starting to do it now. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I remember podcasts being around. 15 years ago, you know, when mm-hmm. they were just getting going and yeah, it's, it takes a long time for these shifts to happen and they go through a lot of changes before they become what we think they're going to become. So all yep. these predictions that you've made, a lot of them are probably going to be true, but they're going to be true only to a degree because there's going to be shifts and changes that happen along the way. And that's the exciting part to me is we don't know where we're, where we're headed, but um, we just have to kind of try to stay on top of it. I think mm-hmm. is the main thing as much as we can. 70% of what we just said could be very <laughs> yeah. wrong or not yeah. wrong, but so far off of what it actually will be. We could be underestimating it. Yeah. We could be overestimating it. I don't think we're overestimating it. Cause I think most of the things we're saying already exist. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of how long is it going to take for people to adapt? And is it going to be something that's mainstream and mainly used by the public? Right. Um, and that's to be determined because there's going to be certain technologies that are badass, but only if only 20% of people use it, it's not an effective strategy right. for us. Um, and for all we know, in the rest of our careers, we're still using the same resources we're using right now. True. Find that hard to believe. We'll find out. But stay tuned for the next episode. Your virtual Realtors for Life.